It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The rabbi at the congregation Beth Israel was conducting a Saturday morning service when the suspect stormed in. Some congregants listened to the hostage taking unfold from home on a Facebook live stream. The suspect was heard demanding the release of Pakistani neuroscientist Afia Siddiqui, convicted of trying to kill two U.S. Army officers in Afghanistan in 2008. I do not have any information right now that indicates that this is part of any kind of ongoing threat. We obviously are investigating. Our investigation will have global reach. Local police learned about the hostage situation after the rabbi called another rabbi in New York. Negotiations went on for hours. One hostage was eventually released. Later, the FBI breached the building, rescuing the others and killing the suspect. He has been identified as 44-year-old British national Malik Faisal Akram. This is something that you don't ever expect to have in your own city. Uh, the rabbi is a personal friend of mine. During the terrifying ordeal, members of the local Muslim community came to show their support to the congregation. To say our Jewish uh, brother that we are behind them and uh, we full support them and against this, uh, condemn this uh, uh, act. President Joe Biden called this an act of terror. I wanted to make sure we got the word out to synagogues and, and places of worship that we're not going to tolerate this. While the captor first described Siddiqui as his Muslim sister, they were not related. Siddiqui, educated in the U.S., is serving an 86-year prison term at a federal detention center in Fort Worth. Her arrest and conviction is widely criticized in Pakistan, where she is seen as being wrongfully imprisoned. The FBI says it is already in contact with agents in London and Tel Aviv to make sure the suspect was not working with anyone overseas. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. All right, Sandy Reels with you. That's what happened over the weekend in Texas. So many of you listened to us from Texas, Colleyville, Texas, at the Temple Beth Israel, and you heard the story described very well, so we don't need to repeat it. But all I can say is here we go again in so many different ways. In fact, before I introduce our guest, uh, this was touched on in that report, but maybe not enough because the FBI spokesperson after uh, Malik Faisal al-Ram from Pakistan, who's here illegally, uh, went into a synagogue on, you know, the Shabbat and uh, with these uh, threatening the congregants. Uh, but the, the FBI can't, you know, they're just not sure. They're just not sure. Let's listen to the FBI agent spokesperson say that for all the world to hear. This is clip two. Uh, we, we, we do believe from our engagement with this subject that he was singularly focused on one issue, uh, and it was not specifically related to the Jewish community, uh, but we're continuing to work to find motive, and, and we will continue on that path. Yeah, we just can't figure this out. Well, I know someone that can figure it out, and her name is Claire Lopez. Claire is the founder and president of Lopez Liberty, LLC. Uh, Claire was with, as we call it, the agency for years. She knows all about uh, radical terrorist threats. She knows about communist threats. 
Uh, she was with Center for Security Policy for a number of years, and I've known her for a long time. And this is right down her lane. She knows all about this. She knows the characters, the players, and I've asked her to join us this morning. Claire, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, good morning, Sandy. Thanks for having me. Claire, what do we know? Do we know anything about Malik Faisal Akram? Well, uh, as as your clips mentioned, um, he uh, is a British citizen of Pakistani uh, descent, um, and uh, he uh, apparently, as, as as the clip mentioned, was in this country illegally, um, but is a British citizen. And the the most recent news that we have is overnight from yesterday, Sunday. Uh, the 16th of January, we are, uh, we're tw- January 2022, um, that Manchester United Kingdom Counterterrorism Police, uh, that is the city of Manchester in Britain, um, they arrested two teens, teenagers. We don't know anything more about that arrest, um, who they are, uh, their names, their identities, no further information. But in relation to the incident in Texas, supposedly, and those teens are in custody for questioning, would seem to indicate that there is a broader investigation going on uh, further around the world. The the problem is that here in the United States and and in Britain as well, um, there's an absolute refusal to understand uh, the doctrine, the law, the scripture of Islam that motivates, that, that, that uh, prods these, these jihadis to do what they're doing. Um, the statement by the FBI uh, special agent in charge that was Matt DeSarno, uh, those comments that you just played there uh, that he made uh, to the media yesterday in Texas, um, just illustrative of the pure ignorance and, and uh, just incompetence of our law enforcement and national security for refusing to understand what drives these people, these jihadis, that's what they are, jihadis, um, to, to take actions. And this absolutely was directed against the Jewish community of Colleyville, Texas, of this synagogue, the Beth uh, Israel synagogue, on Shabbat. Of course it was directed at Jews. Uh, why? Because Jew hatred is absolutely doctrinal to Islam. And Claire, yes, uh, the demand to release Afia Siddiqui from, from uh, federal uh, prison where she's at near uh, Fort Worth, that was his demand, but he knew all along that, that that wasn't going to happen. Claire, let me just interject something, because, you know, we have a, a, a an audience of young people who don't even remember 9-11, and they don't remember all the things that happened after that when you were right in the thick of it, and I was in a different way reporting about it. Um, and, and we just need to say that in regard to the FBI and the, the military, they literally, literally scrubbed the manuals of information about jihadists, jihadis. Uh, these younger FBI agents probably don't know the doctrines of Islam because they're not allowed to be taught, taught that, and neither are members of the military. It was a, it was a, a purposeful purge, and it it's, it's, sounds like something you'd make up, but it's actually true. Well, all right, let's talk about this. Uh, Lady Al-Qaeda. Uh, could we just say a word about Because that's fascinating. She's, she's, as you said, in a prison in Fort Worth. But boy, her past is, uh, well, shall we say, very interesting. Can you just say a word about her? Yeah. Um, she is also of Pakistani descent. She is Pakistani. Um, and back in uh, 2000, um, I think it was 2008, 
she was in Afghanistan. Uh, she was uh, undergoing questioning uh, with United States personnel, uh, soldiers, troops. And she grabbed a gun. She grabbed an M16 rifle and uh, tried to kill to kill our American troops. Uh, thankfully, she did not succeed in that. Uh, that is why she was arrested, taken into custody. 2010 Manhattan, New York uh, court case convicted her on those terrorism charges and sent her off to prison. Um, by the way, she is married to a nephew of KSM, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who played a key role uh, in the attacks of 9-11. Well, we should also say, ironically, uh, that she graduated from Brandeis and got her a degree at MIT. She's very highly educated and actually very dangerous because I think she she did a lot more than we even have time to to get into. But that's who he was demanding the release of. You know, one thing everyone's asking, Claire, and I don't expect you to have a crystal ball on this, but how in the world did Malik Faisal Akram get into Texas? He's here illegally. Did he come across well, the border? I mean, we we don't know that. I don't know that exactly. But our our southern border, is, as everybody knows, is completely wide open. And moreover, how many tens of thousands of evacuees, air quotes, have been flown in from Afghanistan without any vetting whatsoever? We have no idea who they are, where they come from, what their backgrounds are. But here's the thing. Too many of them, like this Malik Faisal Akram, have an ideology that tells them if they die a shahid, if they're killed as he was yesterday at this synagogue, uh, in a in a confrontation with law enforcement, they go straight to paradise to bask in the presence of Allah for all eternity. They not only get that, they get to broker in to paradise 70 more members of their close family. What better gift could a, a man ever give to his children, a man to his wife, a man to his parents? Eternity in paradise with Allah. Never mind the 72 virgins uh, the sweet water and, and, and the fruits and all the rest of it. This is what they believe. And because our national security has refused to study this or understand this, they don't understand the mentality, the motivation, the intent of somebody like an Akram. And that guarantees that it will happen again. Well, of course, it's happened so many times, but it's been a while. We've had so many other things happening. You know, I think of the Orlando nightclub uh, massacre. I think of uh, Fort Hood. Oh, boy, do I think of Fort Hood. I was in Turkey when that broke, and I will never at the sickening. They, what do they call it? Workplace violence? The FBI called it workplace violence while he stood up. The doctor stood up on a table in his white Muslim dress. He was part of the Fort Hood. He was a major, and he shot, I don't remember how, seven maybe. Uh, and they. they they couldn't quite figure out, you know, what his motive was. And then San Bernardino, same thing. So, of course, it's going to happen again, Claire. Let of me draw gonna... the connections, if I okay. may, very quickly. Sure. You mentioned the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. Uh, you mentioned San Bernardino. There are Pakistani connections to both of those. Um, Nadal Hassan, Hassan uh, the major, major Hassan Nadal in, in Texas also uh, was in contact, of course, with Anwar al-Awlaki, uh, the al-Qaeda uh, cleric, Yemeni. Um, but in Orlando and in San Bernardino, there are clear and close uh, ties to Pakistan. The, uh, the imam at the mosque for the Orlando shooter uh, was Pakistani. 
And in San Bernardino, the the uh, the wife of the couple that shot up that workplace after, by the way, they had thrown them a baby shower just weeks before. The wife, Tashfin Malik, was her name. She was Pakistani. She came out of uh, the Punjab in Pakistani, which is prime recruitment grounds, where she was at attending university for about seven years in the Punjab. Prime recruiting grounds for not only the Pakistani ISI, intelligence service, but for the jihadi organizations that Pakistani intelligence founded back funds, arms, uh, Lashkar-e-Jangbi, Lashkar-e-Toyba, those sorts. You know, so Claire, there are Pakistani connections running been, through a series of these events. You have been warning about uh, Pakistan being such a threat for, de- really, I, maybe a couple of decades now. I, don't, I, mean, I remember, of course, the... We could go on and on. We could do a whole show, maybe we should, on uh, how Pakistan has this inv- uh, very serious network of jihadis, and they pose a tremendous threat to us. But before we run out of time, I just want to make this point. The FBI right now is pursuing what? They put all of their their money and resources on people that were at the Capitol on January the 6th. There's a sleep at the wheel, Claire, which is alarming to me. They're pursuing grandmothers and realtors and, you know, carpenters and business owners who went to the went to the Capitol, you know, to support President Trump. Uh, but they're not pursuing people like this so much, unless you know something different than I do. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I'll add a last note here, if I might quickly, too. Instead of uh, pursuing what they ought to pursue, the actual, this kind of serious threat uh, to Americans inside of America... Um, they also have neglected to pay attention to the extensive network of jihadis in the Muslim Brotherhood Islamic Movement Network in America. And that includes their front groups like CARE, C-A-I-R, Council on American Islamic Relations, which, along with others, have been waging a long public campaign to get Afia Siddiqui released from prison. This is all connected, and certainly in the Texas area, Fort Worth, Worth and Dallas, there's a huge network of the Muslim Brotherhood front group, especially CARE. Well, Claire Lopez, thank you for this information, and we're going to have to revisit this, you and I. It's been a long time. You know, we've had so many other problems in the country, but the whole Islamic threat has sort of waned. But I guess they've just been sitting back watching us destroy ourselves. That's usually their method. Claire, thanks for your service and your time this morning. For American Family Radio, this is Gateways to Better Education. I'm Eric Buehler. Religious Freedom Day. Each year since 1993, the President declares January 16th to be Religious Freedom Day. It's a special recognition of the importance of religious freedom in America. It's the anniversary of a law passed in Virginia in 1786 called the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom. Thomas Jefferson wrote it and considered it one of his greatest achievements. It stopped the practice of taxing people to pay for the support of local clergy, and it protected the civil rights of people to express their religious beliefs without suffering discrimination. Sadly, your religious freedom is being threatened more today than ever before with the extreme actions of some in our nation. To learn more about Religious Freedom Day, visit ReligiousFreedomDay.com. That's ReligiousFreedomDay.com. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today we pray for Thomas J. Walters, Director of the Federal Law Enforcement Training Centers. Mr. Walters helps move forward the department's mission of working to train those who protect our homeland. Hebrews 13.6 reminds us of God's protection. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Right now with this in mind, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Thomas J. Walters as he works to protect our people and our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting Go Visit to the number 49596. Again, that's Go Visit to the number 49596. Yale students have been munching on burgers at Lewis's Lunch since 1895, an institution in New Haven, Connecticut, but the Ivy Leaguers won't be ordering their famed hamburger sandwich during the spring semester. That's because Yale told students not to eat at any local restaurants or shop at any local businesses, part of the university's China virus policy and procedures. Even students who test negative have been told to avoid indoor and outdoor diners and pubs. Well, the response from students has been somewhat encouraging. They're angry. They see this as nothing more than a communist-style takeover. One student said they were basically paying to be a prisoner of the university. Another summed up the new policy by calling Yale administrators un-American nutjobs. Basically, they're saying, welcome to Yale, you're grounded. By the way, my new book explores the socialist takeover of America, Culture Jihad, available right now at your favorite bookstore. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Um, We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition and uh, many on ventilators. <sighs> so, you know, the famous uh, statement from uh, Justice Sot- Sotomayor from last week's uh, hearing on the, sco- uh, on the presidential mandates, the OSHA mandates, and on, of course, uh, the health care mandates. And we're going to talk about that again. I, you know, I find myself wondering as I was listening to that, President um, Biden uh, just in the last few days has ordered, you know, ordered, no, requested that social media outlets and other media outlets you know, correct the disinformation that's coming out across, you know, their platforms. Can you wink, wink, nod, do something about that? We're going to come back to that. But um, speaking of disinformation, watching those uh, arguments or listening to the hearing, for me, was a steady diet of disinformation on COVID. I am very passionate about it. uh, But someone that uh, is in the legal world who understands more clearly, much more clearly than I can about what they're arguing in that courtroom is William Jacobson. He's a clinical professor of law and director of securities, the Security Laws Clinic. He was a professor at Cornell for a long time. 
He uh, graduated from Harvard, and he is the founder of um, Legal Insurrection, which is a great resource uh, for, I would say that Professor Jacobson kind of goes off the, it's not dry, it's very interesting. <laughs> he adds a lot of interesting information aside from the analysis of actual legal processes, which is sometimes hard for some of us to understand. So he joins us this morning. Good morning, Professor Jacobson. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm always angry. I get really angry about this stuff, you know, so I need a, yeah. uh, so let's talk about it. I, now, we have discussed, as you can imagine, the decision by the Supreme Court last week. It was that uh, the OSHA mandates on employees, uh, companies that have employees, more, more than 100 employees, was overturned by six to three, while the mandate from um, for healthcare workers was upheld five to four. All right, and we can do the breakdown of that, but I, I guess my simple question to you, Professor, is, you know, they seem the same to me. They're both dictates from the federal government, um, and why in one case, uh, where the companies of with have over 100 employees were mandated and that was somehow wrong, why now could, why can they at the same time uh, force hospital <clears throat> workers uh, to take this uh, vaccine? Well, it's two different agencies two different laws that govern those agencies and two different orders that they gave. So it's um, the one that got knocked down was OSHA, which governs workplaces, which just uh, said any employer with a hundred employees or more has to impose these mandates has nothing specific to a workplace, nothing in OSHA's um, legislation that authorized it, that gives it that power to generally regulate the medical condition of half the country. Uh, and so what the court for OSHA said is that you don't have the authority to do this and you can't try to squeeze it in through this emergency, temporary emergency power you have because one, it's almost never used. It's almost never upheld by the courts. And this is not an emergency peculiar to the workplace. This is just a general health condition in the United States. So they struck that down. Um, three of the justices um, took the same view towards the CMS, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, uh, mandate that uh, health care providers who receive Medicare funds, which of course is a lot of them, um, have to uh, uh, impose these vaccine mandates. And for that one, the majority, so Kavanaugh and Roberts switched sides, said, that uh, that is authority that CMS has because that's regulating the use of federal money. So whereas for OSHA, it wasn't federal money. It was just, you're an employer, you have 100 employees, you've got to do this. The other one was they're making it a condition of receiving federal funding. And of course, federal funding often has, uh, you know, uh, requirements attached to it. And so that, in the court's reasoning, was why the two were different. Different agencies, different laws, different orders. But but haven't that just opened a Pandora's box? So now federal agency, well, I will pick up, we'll say CMS, Centers for Medicare and whatever. Um, let's just say they decide, okay, so now you have to have a, mm, a booster every year. You've got to have now another vaccine. You've got to have a vaccine for this, a vaccine for that. What there are no limits based on their uh, their judgment. It seems to me. It seems that's a precedent well, that's very dangerous. 
Yeah, well, that I think is, you know, the point of the dissenters um, in the CMS case, which is, yes, the federal government can put requirements or prerequisites on for federal funding, but where does it stop? Okay. And that was the issue that this was, they felt that this was going too far because you're now requiring people to get an injection. Um, and uh, as opposed to, you know, using other protocols that might protect patients, um, and particularly where it's at best unclear or arguably clear that being vaccinated does not prevent you from transmitting the disease. What is the rationale for requiring people be vaccinated in order to prevent them from transmitting the de- uh, disease to elderly people in nursing homes? when the science seems to show that, that does that it won't do that, okay? Exactly. It may offer some level of protection, we don't know how much, to the person who receives the shot, but it's not going to prevent that person from transmitting it. That's what the science seems to say. So I think what they said is that this seems to go too far. Um, and uh, so that that's the difference. But that is, you know, a problem because, you know, in this country, the federal government is so large and so many entities receive federal money, either directly or indirectly, that it essentially would allow the federal government to dictate everything you do. Uh, what if it's not a shot? What if they say, well, you know, uh, being obese is a threat to public health, and therefore nobody who work, who receives federal funding uh, can employ people who have a body mass index above whatever that, that index is that gets you termed obese. I mean, why can't the federal government do that? So that's the problem. Where where does it stop? Well, the other problem to me, and I, this is where I don't understand, and I did actually have a conversation with someone who's closely connected to the court. I, I don't understand why the constitutional issues here were not invoked. And like, for instance, the religious freedom exemption, the RIFRA, the, the, the things that give people choice in making um, I'm sorry, I was stumbling, trying to quick, be quick, but uh, being able to explain that they have religious objections to certain things, they are protected for the most part, with some, with a few exceptions. Uh, but that that was not even factored in here. I mean, we had a lot of kind of a lot of healthcare workers who listen to this show who are, I'm sure, heartsick over this. Health well, workers. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at those orders. I don't know whether or not the the orders for both. CMS and OSHA had both medical and religious exemptions. I, I just don't know the answer to that. Okay. But that might be the reason. It might be that it didn't come up because those orders did have, you know, a, um, a good faith religious belief exemption. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and look at that. It's kind of moot for OSHA because that whole thing was thrown out. Yeah. But um, and remember, OSHA was vaccinate or mask and test. So uh, where CMS, I believe, doesn't have the mask and test uh, option. So uh, but I don't know. And that, I, I presume that's why it wasn't brought up, because I'm going to presume that there was some sort of religious exemption. All right. So let me ask you a couple of other things here that I don't quite understand. Um, we are losing healthcare workers. You know, uh, my observation and I, of course, I cover this all the time. So I guess I'm an expert in that regard. Uh a lot of medical personnel are refusing the vaccine. Uh, my own husband, I don't want to go into this, but he had double pneumonia with COVID. And um, when he was in the intensive care unit, 
He said uh, it probably, in his informal poll, probably 60% of the people in there who were completely covered and masked and, you know, he was in intensive care, did not take the vaccine. There's something they know about this. There's some reason why you would think medical workers, if they are conferring and uh, agreeing with what Dr. Fauci and his other ilk are declaring or are mandating, that they would rush to do this, but they're not rushing to do this. And so it defies logic to me that you would force medical personnel to do something that's against their conscience or better judgment. But um, I want to pose a couple of things to you. This is not what you signed up for today, but I just I want to ask a couple of questions to you. All right. So on the fly here, I just read, and I have no context for this, but uh, this is a tweet uh, from someone I don't even know, but it was sent to me by somebody that I do know, who I think you actually know too, so I assume it's somebody you're credible. Florida will not enforce Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, that vaccine mandate upheld by SCOTUS for health care providers. Can Florida do that? Well, again, my un- I'd have to go back and confirm this, but my understanding of the CMS order is that it requir- that states can opt out of it. Oh, really? Um, so, yes, okay. and some states have opted out of it. That's I, I need to go back and confirm that. I didn't expect this to come up today. See, I told you. I would, I'm sorry. <laughs> they, they can uh, opt out of it. That's my understanding. All right. Well, that's uh, I will. That's interesting. Oh, boy, I hope that's true. Because that's really my point in asking you these follow-up questions, if there's any more recourse for healthcare workers, because so many fine people, you know, they're losing their licenses. They're being fired well, from crazy. these facilities. What? What's crazy is um, I split the year between upstate New York and Rhode Island, and Rhode Island uh, essentially fired all the healthcare workers who would not get uh, vaccinated. And then there was a severe, severe uh, staffing shortage at the hospitals. So they said, okay, people who've tested positive but are not symptomatic can come back to work. So if you've not tested positive, and you've been doing this for two years in the hospital with the gowns on, and you've never gotten ill, but you won't take the vaccine, you're fired. But if you have gotten ill and you, you're not symptomatic, you can come back because we I have see. such a severe shortage. In what world does that make any sense? I mean, remember, a lot of the people being fired now have been doing this for two, approaching two years without them being a problem. Why all of the sudden... Is the healthcare worker who follows all the protocols, wears the gown, wears the mask, wears the face shield, does all, and has been doing that for two years without a problem. Yes. All of a the sudden, they need to be fired. That's oh. what's outrageous. It is outrageous. And uh, I mean, I've we just. Used to, we used to cheer them when they left hospitals. Well, people yeah. used to cheer them when they left hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. And they well, weren't vaccinated, they were going into the hospitals because there was no vaccine at the time. Yeah. And, but now you're going to fire these same people? That makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. And I also have been learning more. I'm going to actually do a whole show on this, but um, the money that's being made by hospitals by refusing treatments of ivermectin and other kinds of things, monoclonal antibodies they can't find right now because the Biden administration has made it impossible to get it. But the hospital whole system, I saw a breakdown. I'm going to do a show on this too coming up. Uh, they're making so much money giving remdesivir. They're giving. They're getting money putting people on ventilators. They're getting money, of course, by claiming everyone's dying of COVID. But they're making huge amounts of money, Professor. And so, if that, what I said is true, if what I said is true, 
is would that not be perhaps the subject or a potential reason to go back to the Supreme Court and say, wait a second, something's not right here? I don't think it's a reason, a justification to reopen the cases at the Supreme Court, because these are things that have nothing to do with the limited issue of whether those agencies have the ability to impose a vaccine mandate. Uh, so I don't think the Supreme Court's going to rehear this case because of that. I mean, I think those do raise troubling questions. I don't know. Uh, I have heard from doctors, relatives who are doctors, like, I think, well, why are they listing as a COVID death somebody who was in a motorcycle accident, okay, and is in the hospital for that reason and dies from the injuries from the motorcycle accident, but test positive. And the, the answer I got is that the hospitals get paid more if it's COVID-related because there's so much uh, federal money out there for COVID. Um, and that's why, and we've known this for a long time. I remember it was the spring of 2020, uh, seeing the Michigan Health Commissioner on TV at a press conference, and somebody, a reporter asked that very question. If somebody comes in for a motorcycle accident, um, are you going to list that as person being in the hospital for COVID or not? If the person tests, the answer was, if the person tests positive for COVID, it's a COVID hospitalization, which of course is crazy. And now we're finally getting an admission uh, from various agencies because that was convenient for the media when it made Trump look bad, all these COVID hospitalizations. But now that it makes Biden look bad, now you're seeing states come out. I know New York State has done it and others clarifying that only half of the people we're listing as being in the hospital for COVID are there for COVID as opposed to with COVID. You're in the hospital for some other reason. They test you and you test positive. So now they're clarifying that. And I think we'll probably never know. Clearly, I mean, two things are true. This is a virus that has killed a lot of people. But it's also true that the way they've counted the death have been very suspicious because they seem to be overcounting. Yes, and there seems to be a huge financial incentive. My understanding is that hospitals on this alone are getting $100,000 a piece for COVID patients that, are, that die there. It just go, it's just, wait, I can't say that die because I'm not sure what the metric is. I'll have to look into that. But $100,000 for each COVID patient. And so it's, it's criminal. It really is criminal. And I actually expect, Professor, that at some point uh, somebody's going to be charged with murder for the way they are withholding treatment in these hospitals. I actually think that's what needs to happen. That might sound radical, but I'm, I just think that's exactly what is happening. People have uh, blood on their hands for making these decisions. William Jacobson, again, legal insurrection, legal insurrection. Go there and you'll find some fascinating stuff on the legal stories of the day. Thank you so much, sir. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. In honor of the grand opening of the Don Wildman Center for Cultural Transformation on February 1st, AFA will re-release The God Who Speaks on our new streaming platform and in a special limited edition DVD set. The God Who Speaks, tracing evidence for the Bible's inspiration and authority, was originally released in 2018. This special set includes features like two hours of new footage and a Sunday school curriculum. Learn more at thegodwhospeaks.org. God can use persecution to strengthen the church and individuals within it. Persecution is granted to us. Don't miss this. 
What an honor to be chosen to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die like the thief beside him, so that men enslaved to sin can see the gospel written in our flesh and believe. Gain more perspective on persecution with Jordan Shambly's article, The Victorious Persecuted Church, in the Fall 21 issue of Engage Magazine, or visit EngageMagazine.net. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. What are gates? They are defensive tools used to keep stuff out, to keep an advancing force at bay. Too often, the enemy is successful in putting Christians on defense. When the facts are, the Lord established his church as an aggressive, offensive, territory-taking body. The Lord never meant for us to sit on the sidelines of life or to cower in the corner as a result of the wickedness in our culture. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The light of the world cannot be contained. The Lord is building his church, and the manby-pamby gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. After a series of health issues, this mom felt abortion was the only answer. Was still borderline thinking abortion until the little part at the bottom of the ultrasound started moving, and we realized there were two. And I knew then. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis, offering free ultrasounds and the gospel in action. At just 11 weeks old, these twins cried out for life through ultrasound. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in the USA, introducing moms to their preborn babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Today we are supposed to be celebrating the life and accomplishments of Martin Luther King, tragically cut short by a white supremacist assassin's bullet. Unfortunately, what we are currently witnessing in America is MLK's assassination 2.0, this time at the hands of Marxist racists. Consider the radical left's wholesale repudiation of Dr. King's most famous aspiration, that we be judged by, quote, the content of our character, not the color of our skin, unquote. It is now Biden administration policy that Americans in government, in uniform, and in schools be indoctrinated to believe we are unalterably defined by our race. What would Martin Luther King say about critical race theory and denying white people medications and treatments reserved for people of color? He was the man we honor on this holiday precisely because he would reject such reverse racism, castigate those who perpetrate it. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Unfortunately, while the military is stepping up, as they always do, there are others sitting on the sidelines, and we're standing in the way. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, do it. Personal choice impacts us all, our hospitals, our country. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. 
COVID-19 is one of the most formidable enemies America has ever faced. We've got to work together, not against each other. Yes, well, that's really creepy. That's really creepy. That's the President of the United States asking television, media, social media to stop the disinformation because the story is that COVID is really dangerous and it's going to, you know, I don't even know exactly what he said. What we can pretty much say is that they're going to kill massive amounts of Americans. It's still as much of a threat as it was before. That's what the Sotomayor Kagan said in the argument last week. And it's just not true. And if I could just make a, a point, make this is not just my point. I'll just m- jump to this. The World Health Organization has said in a statement that a vaccination strategy based on repeated booster doses of the original COVID-19 vaccines is unlikely to be appropriate or sustainable. Aside from a few unlucky Israelis, no one is going to receive a fourth dose of the original vaccine. Everyone with eyes can see it doesn't work against Omicron. And so um, also the World Health Organization, I can't believe it. I don't know who's taken over them, but uh, they said that the vaccination status should not be used to disqualify people from traveling internationally. Advising governments to implement implement vaccine mandates is just harmful. Okay, so the World Health Organization is now saying vaccines, you know, maybe don't, don't, it's not necessary, it's not working, but um, so, but Joe Biden is, uh, he hasn't read that memo. Because before it, he was joined at the hip with the World Health Organization, but not so much now. So he's ordering social media companies are ordering. He's just suggesting, you know, he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't hurt you if you didn't do it. No, I think he might actually. That's why companies and federal agencies uh, are jumping to, you know, uh, he's saying uh, he's he's the voice, but somebody behind him pulling the strings. He's saying jump, and people are just saying, how high? What can I do? Oh yes, sure, I'll jump through that ridiculous, harmful dangerous hoop and let people die. I'm happy to do that. That's what they're doing. So on the heels of that little announcement by Joe Biden, Direct TV has announced that they are canceling One America News, OAN. They're canceling it. And what was the reason? Let's see. <clears throat> Here's the Direct TV, one of the largest U.S. pay TV providers, plans to drop One America News Network, dealing a major blow to the conservative channel that's been criticized for spreading misinformation and had a loyal fan and former President Donald Trump. Uh, they have notified OAN's own owner, Herring Networks, that it plans to stop carrying the company's two channels with their, when their contract expires, which I, I believe is in an April. And so uh, this is, you know, look, DirecTV is one of the largest providers. People all over the country uh, use this, and uh, millions and millions, I don't know what the numbers are, but I can't imagine this is going to go down well because here's the problem. If DirecTV, and we'll pick on them because they're the ones that stepped up to the plate to please the president, if they're going to uh, eliminate One America News, well, what are they going to? What do you suppose they're going to eliminate next? Let's see. Could it maybe be uh, Newsmax? Could maybe it be, uh, uh, I don't know, could maybe it could be Fox? Could it be? Is it possible? Well, why isn't it possible? And where's the line going to go? And you may not watch One American News. I really like it. I don't watch, I'm not watching much television these days, but I do like One American News. It's not as well-funded, doesn't have as much polish and stuff, but they give great reports and they give you information that you won't hear hardly any other place, including Newsmax. But uh, DirecTV is going to boot them. So here's the deal. My friend Brigitte Gabriel uh, is starting a campaign to stop this. And uh, I'm I'm happy to join with her because I think this is just horrific. If you want to cancel your subscription to Direct TV, 
You can do that by calling 800-531-5000. 800-531-5000. You know, there are other ways to get television now. You don't need the cable channel. You can do it in other ways. Uh, and you to call DirecTV customer service and request them to change course and extend the contract for One America News, you can call them at 800-531-5000. So it's the same number, thank goodness. 800-531-5000. Uh, their parent company is AT&T, and they own DirecTV, so if you'd like to you know, give them uh, your ear, it's you know, use their ear, give them your words, call 800-331-0500, same thing. No, that's a different number. AT&T is 800-331-0500. So um, we'll put this on our, uh, you know, our, our Getter account, G-E-T-T-R, and encouraging all of you to join Getter, and that's where we're going to be posting our information most faithfully. We'll try to get into other website, other sites too, uh, but that's where you can faithfully find everything that we post every day. So those numbers, again, 800-531-5000 for DirecTV, 800-331-0500 for AT&T. And you can let them know what you think. So uh, so there you go. Thank you, President Biden. That's great. That's great. We should just all, maybe it should just be CNN and MSNBC on cable news. Don't you think? Oh, I, I, um, why would we bother with this misinformation from these other channels? And I'll tell you how successful they're being in shutting this out. Did you realize that President Trump had a rally in Arizona on Saturday night? Thousands and thousands of people. I realized that Fox Nation made it uh, available. I think Newsmax did also. But have you heard anything about it in the news reports? Have you seen clips? I had trouble. There were no clips this morning. I mean, I'm sure if we searched hard enough, if we have had more time to search, we could have found them, but not available. Fox did a story on it, but didn't put any clips in. They told you what he said, you see. They have to tell you what he said because you can't be allowed to hear for yourself and interpret for yourself what President Trump said. So the shutdown is very effective. It's very effective to silence people's voices. And so speaking of mandates, in Washington, D.C., a Saturday, a mandate went down with the force of the mayor's gavel, Muriel Bowser. And so you can't eat, you can't take a cab, you can't stay in a hotel, you can't, I don't know, do anything, shop, go to the souvenir stores. If you think that you're going to go to a tour on a tour to D.C. based on that decision, if you haven't been vaccinated, <clears throat> uh, forget it. Forget it. And, of course, that affects me a great deal. But it's going to affect all of us. And this is our city. Remember that the, 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 the um, District of Columbia belongs to the American people. It doesn't belong to Muriel Bowser or the, uh, or the horrendous hordes of anti-American haters uh, who have populated it. it. It is like a foreign country to go to D.C. right now. It really is. It was what, uh, for a long time it has been. And I, I just saw another report. Um, they're building a, a new wall around the White House. I saw a video of it. They're bringing in huge concrete, like concrete walls. I mean the size of walls, not those low barriers. I mean they, a big semi-truck brought them in. They're placing them behind the fence like an armed camp. You know, I don't think they're decide I don't think they're going to go away easily. What do you think? I think they have plans. I think even though, you know, people are reporting that there's going to be a Republican sweep. I don't think the Republicans have any idea what they're up against. I really don't. Not the leaders. They just think it's business as usual. Well, you know, well, the way politics works, it swings from one party to another. And when we win, we're going to... Um, uh, do away with the filibuster and we'll punish you and that'll do it. You'll see. 
Yeah, that's where they are. They don't understand how deeply entrenched and wicked and how there's no way the left is going to yawn and say, well, next time we'll win. They're not going to do that. I don't know what they're going to do, but they're not going to give up power that easily. They're just not. It's very creepy to me, to be honest. And uh, for those of you that drive trucks, and a lot of you listen to the show who are truck drivers, I've talked to you, and you're some of the some of the most informed people in this country, really. And so a vaccine mandate goes into effect, or it is now in effect, for crossing the border into Canada. So um, actually, uh, the U.S. vaccine mandate takes effect on January 22nd. I don't quite understand that little sentence there because I, I don't understand that. I can't explain it because I thought the mandate was shot down by the Supreme Court, but they must be talking about some other mandate. So what does that mean to you and to me if you're not a truck driver? Well, I think it means more empty shelves, less goods and services, higher prices, unemployed truck drivers, because many of them that I've, well, look, I don't have a thousand sample, but a lot of truckers are against taking vaccines. But even if they aren't, this is going to this is going to just going to hurt the American people even more. But hey, you know, it's, um, this, they're just doing it, trying to save lives. They're doing their part. The, the uh, uh, President Biden and his team. Uh, really important stories that I want to tell you. Do you recall by chance me telling you about a man, uh, Mr. Sung Ning? He's from Hong Kong, and he came to the western suburbs of Chicago, close to where I w- raised my kids. He was in Elmhurst. And he came down with COVID. They put him in a hospital, Elmhurst Hospital, I think it was. Yes, Edward Elmhurst Health System. And, um, well, guess what? They would not give him ivermectin or any of the other treatments. And by the way, Mr. Ng holds a, no, Man Kwang Ng, who is his daughter, holds a doctoral degree in mechanical engineering. Uh, she did a lot of research and decided that he better get ivermectin. So she went to bat, hired a, an attorney. And the attorney's been fighting with Edward Elmhurst Health System for a long time. There's an, there was an injunction. Uh, they filed an emergency report with the court on November the 8th. Um, the judge admonished the hospital then and re- restated that it must allow Bain inside, that was a doctor who was willing to treat Mr. Ng, over a period of 15 days to do his job. But the hospital filed a motion to stay the order, uh, and uh, he had directed the facility to comply. Okay, so what happened? Mr. Ng is recovering. He's 70, 71 years old. He's recovering at home. And uh, I see a picture of him here. And so that was a great victory, an unusual victory on this. And I want to pair that with his other story. In Florida, um, um, Daniel Pisano, who is uh, his wife and his son, have been fighting Mayo Clinic now for months. Um, trying to get ivermectin and other treatments for him, and they're refusing. They found a doctor from outside who uh, knows a lot about this. And by the way, I'm going to try to get that doctor on the air here to talk to him. Uh, but a first uh, district court, appe- court of appeal denied uh, their a plea. And so Mr. Uh, Pisano, who's been now on a ventilator for I don't know how long, the family has begged the Mayo Clinic to simply step aside and let Balbano try what he thinks could work, but Mayo Clinic doesn't allow outside, outside doctors to treat patients, and they won't even let him out. And so um, he is being refused that treatment. And that, that, as I understand it, they lost the last legal battle, and so he's lying there dying on this ventilator, as opposed to Mr. Ng, 
who uh, won the court case in uh, in the western suburbs of Chicago. There's got to be some kind of a, there's got to be, got to be some remedy on this. This has to make its way to the Supreme Court. This whole notion of what hospitals are doing to deny treatments to sick people. And this article in um, the Epoch Times, which we'll put on our Facebook page, after 28 days on ventilator, family loses legal battle to try ivermectin, other alternative treatments for a dying father. Um, there are a couple of other stories in this that I think you would find interesting. It's one uh, one lady, Christy Detrude, said that her husband came down with COVID and they put him on. Anyway, on the eighth day of illness, he developed pneumonia and the urgent care clinic told him to go to the hospital for treatment with convalescent plasma and oxygen. By the way, uh, the urgent care, what, this is where you can get ivermectin, by the way. Many of you who are wondering, a lot of urgent cares will give it to you if your hospital or your doctor won't. You have to figure out who it is, but um, again, go to FLCCC. That's um, frontline uh, uh, critical care COVID. That's just the, the the go-to place to find someone near you who you can get ivermectin from. Also, frontline doctors. So, uh, on the eighth day of his illness, he developed pneumonia. Uh, the doctor at the critical care said, "You won't be admitted. Just go there and get convalescent plasma and oxygen." She dropped him off, Christine Detrude. At the Mayo Clinic, Florida emergency room, she was told to come back and pick him up for in four to five hours. Once he got to Mayo, they just completely took over, and there was no informed consent. There was no giving him information and letting us make a decision. They made all of his decisions for him, and they followed a standard protocol. There were no choices. There was no discussion. They just kept upping the oxygen. The hospital would not agree to discharge him, and they wouldn't allow her to visit. Days passed, then weeks. She says that she could tell from their phone calls that their, her husband was getting weep, weaker. His 60th birthday came and went, and still, she says, the hospital wouldn't let her visit. So um, after 46 days, Dewey, uh, Mrs. Detrude was, or Dewey Detrude was discharged and immediately started following Dr. Balbona's instructions, and he has recovered. He's recovered, he's working out, and he's going back to work. So what is happening here? What is happening here? How could our medical facilities, our doctors and nurses, our hospitals have degraded themselves to the point where they spit in the eye of the Hippocratic Health? I just don't understand it. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.